Welcome to the Redbird Report. My name is Tom Prizman alongside Vedette Sports editor Mike Mara. Mike, valiantly, it's the flu game for Mike. This is like the Jordan flu game. How you doing? Ooh, man, I am I'm battling through. I, I oof, didn't know I was going to be here today. Sorry. I'm, I, I'm sorry. in a full hazmat suit, trying out, just trying to make sure I don't get, get, get infected by Mike. I honestly almost, like, I wanted to come into the office today, like Bane. Like, oh, <laughs> I am sports Mike Mara. I, you know, I didn't know what to do. I wanted to be Bane. You really just want to show off your pretty good Bane impression. That yeah. was it. Yeah, that I was... couldn't even do it right there because I'm in my hand. If I had my mask on, I'm telling you, people, I'd make a great Bane. I'd be taking over Bloomington Normal and Bat- and there's no Batman to save you. And, and you can maybe blow up the football field. That's a that's a good part of that movie. Then we'll Let talk the games a- begin. We'll talk about the uh, ISU football team to start and then we'll get to the main course, the entree, the Peace Day Resistance, which is the Illinois State men's basketball team finally tipping off this Saturday as they go to Florida Gulf Coast. But speaking of Bane, speaking of football, when we open up with a football team, uh, tough loss for them against Western Illinois. Game that they had a 14 nothing lead at halftime, and now it does not get any easier. They need to win one of these final oh, two to man. get into the NCAA tournament. And South Dakota State coming off a win against North Dakota State. Not an easy task. Doesn't look very good for them. I mean, we I know Nate did a great job on, on Sunday afternoon, uh, you know, recapping that Western Illinois game. So I'm not going to get into that too too in depth. But I'll tell you what, that game. There's not a more demoralizing way to uh, to to kind of go into these last two weeks. That's a tough loss right there. You're up 14 nothing, feeling good at half. Obviously, there's that controversial pass interference called by Mar on Mar that was called on Markel Smith. That you know maybe you can argue, and Broxback said it yesterday, might change the game to twenty-one nothing going into halftime. But you playing the what-if game there, and then Sean McGuire in Western Illinois just came out guns blazing, and you know stunned Illinois State in the second half. And it doesn't get easier. South Dakota State's coming off a big-time victory, beating NDSU for their first loss of the season. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to tell you right now, it's a tall task for, for Illinois State. They need to take one of these two. Six and five will not get you in. Seven and, and four pretty much automatically gets you in. And that's what I said. That, that I said if they beat Western Illinois, they punch their ticket. These next two weeks don't matter. These and, and you know essentially you know air quotes don't matter. You're in seven and you're you're in with seven wins. But now you have to figure out you got to scratch and claw one of these away. And I don't know which one's easier. We said Western Illinois. We said you know when this gauntlet began and we thought we hit the panic button. We thought of these five games, Western Illinois was the easiest to win, and they ended up dropping that one. So I and these are the to two. To be fair, they did win two games in a row, though we probably did not predict them to win, especially the South Dakota game. Youngstown was one that we thought maybe was possible, especially the way Youngstown was trending. Uh, but as we wrap this segment up, really difficult for Illinois State. Uh, I, I, you know, I'll be honest. I was sick on Saturday, so I watched the first half. So I was fourteen nothing and said, you know what? I don't feel that well. I'm I'm gonna go take a nap. I thought I was gonna sleep through the third quarter. Unfortunately, <laughs> one of those naps where you wake up and you go, oh no, it's I've it's now oh four no, hours. it's eight o'clock. It's Uh-oh. now four hours it's later. Dinner time. So I I woke up and I was like, ah, oh, let's see what the final <laughs> score was. Redbirds must have won. And then to see that score, I texted you immediately because you were on the call for WZ and said, what happened? What? How did this transpire? So There's a meltdown. Well, went back and watched it. It was not pretty. Uh, Mike, you have any prediction for the South Dakota State game? An important one for the Redbirds. Mm. I think of the two, probably the more winnable. Correct. Um, you get a South Dakota State team coming in off a win. Maybe you're looking for a letdown game from them. Redbirds obviously have their season once again on the line. Uh, and now they have to find a way to battle back. Well, I know we talked about it. We texted about it. We texted about this game. 
South Dakota State's you know returning a lot. They've got a tight end who Brock's back said could go in the first round of the NFL draft. Their quarterback Brock compared to to Chris Trevler said he's a little bit quicker on his feet than Trevler is and not going to run as hard. Has a very good arm, but again this team's riding high. This was a South Dakota State team we said earlier in the season was not a typical South Dakota State team. They've kind of found that groove, and I think Illinois State's going into South Dakota and they're going into Brookings at the wrong time. Uh, I think South Dakota State's take this one takes this one. I'm going by a score prediction of 31-17, and and I think that one pretty much just caps off the season for Illinois State because I don't think North Dakota State's going to take it any lightly, uh, take it any lighter on Illinois State in, in a week from now. I will say this, and I've been pretty pessimistic about this Redbird team, but every time that we've doubted them, that we've counted them out, they've come back. You look at the South Dakota game, even the Youngstown game, you give them credit. Uh, every time that we have doubted them, they have come through, and there's a lot of confidence in that building. I'm going to go with the upset. I'm going to say Redbirds come through, and they they know this is probably the game they have to win. Don't want to leave it up to the final week of the season. Don't want to leave it up to North Dakota State. Obviously, we all know what they are capable of, the Bison. I think they take down the Jackrabbits 34-28 and punch their ticket into the NCAA tournament pretty much. Yeah, Obviously, they won't do it on Saturday, but a win would pretty much guarantee them the tournament spot. So that's our predictions. Mike has the Redbirds falling. I have the Redbirds winning at South Dakota State coming up this Saturday. And now we turn our attention to another thing going on on Saturday. Uh, it's interesting. Probably divided attention for Redbird fans on Saturday. You have sort of a team in desperation mode in football, and then you have the optimistic side on the men's basketball team. And Mike, I know you were at Media Day, and you've just talked to Dan Muller less than 10 minutes ago, <laughs> uh, right before we started recording this podcast. Just early expectations for this team. What are you thinking? Well, I have a preview coming out tomorrow, and the big thing that I say is you know, Muller has experienced injured teams to start the season before. You go back to two years ago, Devon Akum Purcell had a broken hand. Last year, Tony Wills had a sports hernia. This year, you got David Njai, Elijah Clarence, Matt Hine, all sidelined. Obviously, you can debate on who's going to see the floor more often, but you're going to see David Njai and Elijah Clarence are, are big losses to start the season, especially because we, we've talked about how hard this non-conference schedule is for this team. So I, this is this is what I've this is my early prediction for this team is I think they're going to struggle. In, in the non-con. Uh, I think they're going to struggle non-con. One, because they're young. They're inexperienced. You lose a lot from last year. I mean, we, we talked about it all offseason. You lose Mikhail McIntosh, Tony Wills, Paris Lee, Devon, uh, Deontay Hawkins. Not Devontae Hawkins. Devon, Deontay Hawkins. And that's just so hard to come back from. And this is a team that right now I think is still lacking leadership. You can argue who, where it's coming from, and, and Dan has hinted that it's coming from Phil, Malik Yarborough, and Keyshawn Evans. But there's no clear leader. Last year's clear leader was Paris Lee. Whenever they needed a big buck, whenever they needed anything, Paris Lee stepped up. So my early prediction is is, is they're going to lack some leadership. They're going to lack the, the experience that they need. And this non-conference schedule might get the best of them to, to begin the season. Yeah, this non conference schedule is really difficult. We'll make predictions. Uh, I went through yesterday game by game and kind of just charted out what I thought was going to happen. I know you you kind of did the same did thing. Did the same thing, correct. Uh, so we did it separately, though, so we don't know what right. the other person right. predicted. So we'll, we'll do that at the end of the podcast. But at first, I want to take just kind of a, a, a 30,000 feet view, if you will. Uh, I want to look first at the starting lineup. What are you thinking 
uh, Illinois State will start. I thought it was interesting Malik Yarbrough did not get the start in the game against Lewis. It was it was weird. And uh, I, I mean, obviously that as you said to me, I think I texted you about this, and you said doesn't really matter. I think it does matter at least a little bit. I think everyone expects him to be starting on Saturday, but kind of unusual to see the guy that everyone's penned in is a Valley Player of the Year contender and certainly probably the most outstanding player on this team not even start. The one thing I will say is I think maybe it was an exhibition and maybe you credit guys who have been in the program for a year like Isaac Gassman who got the start you know, and kind of say, hey, you know what, you redshirted a year, you've been with the team for a year, and you could argue Malik was here too because let's not keep in mind he practiced all season long. The one thing he said you know, at HoopFest a couple weeks ago was, he didn't feel like this was his first year here. He didn't feel like he sat out a year because he play. He he didn't play. He practiced all season long with this team. Traveled, went to all the games, and so it's not like he sat out. He felt like he was still a part of this team. But I'm not reading in. I'm not reading too much into him not starting into that exhibition game, and that's why I said I don't think it mattered. It's an exhibition game. There's no way that you go into Florida Gulf Coast Saturday afternoon and you do not start Malik Yarbrough if, if you want a chance to win. So here was the starters in the game against Lewis. William Tinsley, Phil Fain started in the front court. In the back court, you would say they started three guards in Isaac Gassman, Keyshawn Evans, and Madison Williams. And I would argue two of those guys, and Evan and uh, Madison Williams, are both point guards. So you really had... Two primary ball handlers, two guys that can play the one out there, and then Gasman, who's sort of a combo guard. Uh, that's a small team. Uh, you're starting Phil Fain, who played very few minutes last year at the True Five, as your center, and that's an interesting lineup. I think, obviously, we probably predict, I would say, it's probably going to be uh, just a substitution Yarbrough in for Gasman. Correct. That's what I believe, too. Uh, and, and I think what they're going to, and I think what they might do early on with, with, with the absence of Clarence, and this is obviously it's clear speculation. I've not asked Dan this or asked anybody this. This is something that I just kind of feel, and obviously I could be wrong. I think at some point they're going to want Madison to be the primary ball handler and give Keyshawn kind of be a shooting guard. We've seen Keyshawn play the point guard. He's good. He's good, and he got to work under Paris Lee, but he's much better of a shooter and a much better scorer. I think it's at the at, at, at playing two guard. That's what I believe. I yeah, think he, and what's funny is I'm actually a huge proponent of Madison Williams. I thought last year he didn't get enough playing time towards the end. I agree. I know he was dealing with some ailments. I know he was slowed down. A he little couldn't bit. be he he he, did, he could not stay healthy last year, and it was unfortunate because he really showed like he could be a good player. I still feel like though, having said that, even though that I, I I'm a believer in Madison Williams. I feel like if you have Keyshawn Evans as your point guard, you're going to have more success because of the fact that he's... I feel like Madison is pretty much always going to be a pass-first player. It's going to be someone that can facilitate the offense. Uh, but if you have Keyshawn Evans out there as your primary ball handler, you have someone who can score and you can have someone that facilitate the offense. We saw last year when you have Paris Lee, who wasn't a tremendous scorer, but was you know a good scorer. I would say Keyshawn has the ability to probably be a better scorer. Probably not as good of a facilitator, but... If he can get even close to being a good facilitator and would combine with that that scoring ability, you know, I was looking at his stats last year. He shot almost 43% from three. If he can keep that up, increasing the number of shots and, you know, getting the offense involved, I think that would be a big weapon for Illinois State. The problem is they're really missing someone like Zach Copeland, who was supposed to be here. If you had a starting lineup of Evans, Copeland, Tinsley, Yarborough, Fane, that's a very athletic five. That's a five that... 
maybe a little undersized still, but can switch, can play very well, and can shoot very well. That and run be- the floor. I, I think that's one of the biggest things that in basketball, obviously you always hear coaches in timeouts, run the floor, run the floor, run the floor. That's something that you actually kind of like, when you when you seriously look at, at the analytics of basketball and how to, and dissect an offense and dissect a team, running the floor, if you can outpace a team, if you can outrun a team, you're just going to get fast break layups. And that's the one problem you run into when you, you know, no offense to David Enjai, it's the one problem you have when you have David Enjai on the floor is he's not very good up and down the court. And a lot of that is due to the fact that he's fractured a couple feet here at Illinois State. He's a guy who can't seem to be be healthy very often. And it, to be he, fair, something comes with just being seven feet tall that generally leads to something more like that, a- a- injuries, especially in the foot. And, but either way, that's the one thing you can't really do is run the floor when he's on the. You can't run the floor when he's in the game. Whereas with a lineup like that. You might be able to just go on a nice little eight nothing run by simply getting a few fast break layups by pushing the tempo. And I, I hate to be this pessimistic, but I, I texted you this the other day when you were in the midst of dying, and you know <laughs> we didn't actually get a chance to really talk about it. So I want to bring it up now. Okay. Um, and I, I don't want to be this pessimistic, but it's hard to look at this team and not think about what it could be. This is a good team, but there's the potential for this team to be. One of the best in Illinois State history. If you had kept a few more people just around, and I don't blame Dan Mullen and the coaching staff. I think some of them were consciousness, and some of them were guys going to get better opportunities. And it's hard to uh, it's hard to blame someone like Malik uh, Mikhail McIntosh rather uh, for trying to go to Oregon and trying to get himself in a spot where he can go maybe play in the NBA. Uh, it's hard to it's hard to fault a guy. But so the starting five we pro- were projecting, and again, I th- I think this will be how it opens up the year. It'll be. Keyshawn Evans, Madison Williams, Yarborough, Tinsley, Fain. Correct. Uh, is that starting five better than the all-transfer starting five? Now, these are all players that still have eligibility, could be at Illinois State, but have since departed the program for various regions. The first one, guy that we, we were just trying to figure out as of yesterday, we were going back <laughs> and forth trying to figure out where he went. You did some good internet sleuthing to figure it out. DJ Clayton's a guy that I think this team could really use, especially... Man. At that two guard, if you told me it would instead of having Madison Williams starting, you could have him as the sixth or seventh man. I think that really helps this team. DJ Clayton's exactly what this team needs as well because you have a lot of shooting. Get someone that can slash. Get someone that goes in the lane. Uh, in case you're wondering, Clayton ended up at LSU Shreveport. That's an NAIA school, a highly ranked NAIA school. They just took down the number one team in NAIA, but sort of a surprising move. That is DJ Clayton's fourth school in four years. And it'll effectively end his basketball career, at least at the Division One level. He's a senior, so interesting to see Clayton go away. I'm just curious what you thought of everything that kind of happened. That was a sort of a, a late move after everything that happened with some players we'll mention on this all-transfer team and Hawkins and McIntosh. Clayton was a surprise transfer, I thought. Yeah, and the thing with Clayton is it came out of nowhere. There wasn't any rumblings. There wasn't like, hey, someone's on the move, or hey, we think you know DJ Clayton's unhappy here. It was all of a sudden. I remember being. I, was, I remember when we got the news. It was we were sitting here at the office, and all of a sudden, uh, you, you know, we got the news. DJ Clayton's leaving, and we're, I was like, what? Like, why is this guy leaving? It doesn't make any sense. This guy, he would have such a huge role on this team that I don't. And he was all MVC bench team last season. Which, when you look at that, I mean, there's only room for improvement from there. And that was on a team when arguably 
you could say that he didn't even, and he did. He he deserved all NBC All Bench, but with the other guys on this team, you could say he didn't deserve that. Look who else they had on the team: Phil Fain, Paris Lee, and all he these was other the guys. Best guy off the bench, but certainly there Correct. wasn't that many shots for him to go around. And what's really interesting is I was looking just at his Twitter page, and you don't want to read too much into Twitter, obviously, but he tweeted a lot back and forth with Malik Yarborough. It seems like the two were pretty good friends, and it's weird to think that he never even got to play with Malik Yarborough. No, they outside were here of, for one year. But outside of to practice play. together, outside of maybe you know doing the doing the shot machine together. I mean, and and, and it's not even a situation. Sometimes if players transfer get closer to home, he's originally from Oakland. Went to he's gone to school in Florida. He's gone to school in Western Kentucky. So it's a little bit odd to see him. Uh, I I just I think that that that's a guy. You know, a slasher that could really, really help this team, especially at the two guard spot. Play pretty good defense as well, so I think that's a guy that could have helped them. They'll miss him. They'll miss him. Uh, you'll notice the one flaw on this all transfer team. They don't have a true point guard, so that you can poke holes in there. <laughs> but we're and, and, and as I said to Mike, I said trying to make all these players actually share the ball and play with one another and not have chemistry issues would be a challenge in, in and of itself. But just looking at a pure talent standpoint. Let's go through the rest of the team. Zach Lofton, another guy, very well-traveled. Ended up last year at a Texas State, I believe. Uh, and no, Texas Southern, excuse me. And he was the the, the SWAC player of the year. Had a great year. Uh, and was averaging like 18 points a game. Transferred now to New Mexico State. He's another guy, though, really could be valuable to this team. Obviously, has been well-traveled Minnesota, Texas Southern, now New Mexico State. Uh but that's that's the starting two guard on this team. Then you look at the forward, the front court: Mikhail McIntosh, Deontay Hawkins, Reggie Lynch. That would be if you had that starting front court, the best front court in the valley. Period. And, untouchable, untouchable. And, and think about this: if you had that front court, Phil Fain is coming off the bench, and Phil Fain coming off the bench is an exciting proposition for this team because. Phil Phil's a great starter, and I Phil put himself. Th- Phil I, Phil hasn't put himself in this position. The team has put him in the position to be now the number two per, the number two uh, 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 scorer on this team. And I don't want to take anything away from Phil, but if <coughs> you could easily see Phil playing fifteen to eighteen minutes a night and excelling in that role as a super sub, he would be tremendous in. A high energy guy who comes off the bench has those springy lays, could block shots, get rebounds. Uh, so I'm really curious, and, and off the bench as well. Roland Griffin's another guy that transferred away, ended up at a junior college, and now is playing at Iona, which you know maybe is not the most prestigious program. But I'm from the New York area. Tim Clouse has run a really nice program. That's a that's a good school as well. Roland Griffin coming off the bench for the all transfer team. So. I'm really curious, Mike. Do you think this all-transfer team is actually better than the starting five that Illinois State has? <sighs> uh, we'll, we'll go through it again. Clayton, Lofton, Mikhail McIntosh, Giante Hawkins, Reggie Lynch, and then Roland Griffin off the bench. You compare that to uh, Madison Williams, Keyshawn Evans, Phil Fain, William Tinsley, Malik Yarborough, and then probably Isaac Gassman is your sixth man. Oh, man. Uh, I think both teams... Would sport you know two or three you know stars? I think we could say Malik Yarborough and probably honestly out of that. I mean, you say Phil Fain and maybe even William Tinsley, who is looked pretty good here so far between Hoop Fest. William Tinsley was very undercovered in the preseason. A guy that turned down Florida State to come to ISU. Uh, But I will say one thing before we all get too excited: he did go five of seven from three. I don't think he's going to continue shooting that percentage. 
Uh, he was five and seven in the exhibition game. So, you know, obviously that's probably not a realistic number for him to shoot for the rest of the season. So let's just—I would pump the brakes just a little bit on on Tinsley, but he was certainly very outstanding. But going back. This whole train, I, I was I, just sitting there one day thinking about this, and they, I just decided to put together, and it's it's interesting. The thing is, is I think you look at the all transfer team, and, and they're probably better, especially when you look at those three that you mentioned: Reggie Lynch, Deontay Hawkins, and Mikhail McIntosh. All three of whom are going to play major minutes. I would say probably all start. I, I haven't checked. They it. they all will start. I I talked or I didn't talk. I was. Looking at Boston College, I, that was the one I hadn't checked into. I much. was looking into Boston College. It looks like he's going to start, and if he doesn't start, which is unlikely, he's going to be the first off the bench. But like I said, so, so he, you have three guys that all starting and now at, at Power Five schools, correct? And I think Deontay would do fine. I think Mikhail will be fine, but Reggie Lynch is the one who I think is going to have the most success this season, and that's up for debate because some people are going to say Mikhail will. Because I mean, I, a lot of us. Talked about it. Is he really going to go to Oregon and play? But we've seen he started in, the co- in a few exhibition games. Well, Mikhail's the most interesting to me. I think I, you know, we'll talk about Deontay in a moment. But Mikhail's very interesting in the fact that I think he was always maybe a little bit limited here in Illinois State because he was sort of the third option last season at times. You know, depending on what was going on, and I think he's really excited to maybe step into his own and have an opportunity now in a Power 5 conference, I, I think he has a, another level he could reach, and we'll see if he's able to do it. Just because that potential's there doesn't mean he always realizes it, but correct, it, it, it's definitely possible to take that other step. The guy I want to talk about, really undercovered, it, it just I think even just not, not many people realize this, Deontay Hawkins at the beginning of last season said, I'm not coming back, You know, I'm, I'm graduating, I'm doing whatever. And then he was very smart in doing that because it didn't lead to this whole season where we saw with Mikhail McIntosh of will he stay, won't he stay. Everyone just knew he was leaving. Then it became sort of no one's really talked about the fact that he could still be here. Deont- you could be Deontay Hawkins could still be at Illinois State just because he chose to leave. He's starting. There's yeah. no doubt about it. There's <laughs> no doubt about it. He would definitely be starting. Uh, and that's the guy I think that the Illinois State's really missing. Uh, if you could have kept Deontay Hawkins, I know there's questions of, of whether or not maybe uh, McIntosh and Yarbrough could have both uh, played together and shared the ball. I don't think they would have been okay. I, I think, think Yarbrough and, and Hawkins would have complimented each other so nicely. I think they would have complimented each other so nicely. And the thing is, is you saw how well Hawkins could shoot the ball. That's something that they're going to miss. And you saw Malik. Malik. Malik improved his three-point shooting. That's something that he worked on over the offseason. You've seen him do it in the Lewis. Well, when you have a whole year off, one thing you can do is get up. Just shoot and uh, shoot. And he, well, he dropped weight. Yeah. He dropped weight. I mean, Malik is... The problem with Malik is you're struggling to find that second score. You're struggling to find that, that complimentary score. I think you're going to get that out of Elijah Clarence when he comes back in due time. But for the time being, it's Yarborough and a big question mark. Probably Tinsley. I mean, the thing about Phil Fane, as much as every Redbird fan loves him, last season he was the fourth, even the fifth option sometimes, depending on what was going on with Tony Wills, obviously who dealt with a lot of injuries last season. Uh, but So it'll be really interesting to see. Phil now, you know, he was never a shooter last season, obviously. He scored... 97% of his points from probably inside six feet. Uh, so now it'll be interesting to see if he could even just develop a mid-range jumper. That would really be valuable in the pick and pop and things of that nature. But the problem with Phil, 
in terms of you're looking for him to score, and he's just not a natural scorer in the same way uh, of somebody like Deontay Hawkins, of someone like Mikhail McIntosh. So this team definitely can rely on Phil Fain for a lot of things, but to be that second option offensively, probably at this point, unless we see some dramatic jump, not yet. The problem is, is with Phil, and again, I know Dan mentioned that you're going to see a different offensive Phil Fain. I, you know... No offense. To be seen. Right. It's hard to tell from an exhibition game. He did shoot two three-pointers, made his first one. I don't know if that's going to be a go-to for Phil. The issue with Phil that going back to last season is, and when you compare it to Deontay Hawkins, Deontay could create his own shot. Deontay could sit at the three-point line. We all remember what Deontay did in the NIT, where he started, I think, the first the, the two games they played in the NIT, pulled time, basically pulled up from half court and made it. He pulled up from Illinois Wesleyan and said, take this, UCF. And, I mean, I was... He, I don't talk about that one. The UC Irvine game, he did basically the same thing, maybe a step inside that, and, and he did it as well. So it was back-to-back games for uh, Deontay Hawkins last time, last season, when he was able to hit those deep, deep threes, and he was someone was a really interesting player because he had that big body. He kind of go in the post. He didn't do it that often, but had the ability to take smaller players and post them up. And then obviously really became a very good shooter towards the end of his Illinois State career. And they're going to miss that scoring presence, I think. And the thing is, but going back to, to Phil, is Deontay could create his own shot. Deontay could pump fake, dribble drive, go to the paint, shoot the three ball, shoot the mid-range game. Deontay you know, was a very good offensive player. Phil, I, I just truly believe, and no offense to Phil, until I see it, I believe Phil lacks the ability to create his own shot. I believe he can play very well in the post. We've seen that. But as far as creating your own shot and, and being that dynamic of a player, I just don't see it out of Phil. This season will be very interesting. Illinois State is pretty much relying on two returners from the top, you would say, seven of last season, where David Njai, you know, played in the top eight, but he's injured, so we're just going to not count him at the moment. Keyshawn, who was your probably first guard off the bench, and Phil Fain, who was was one of your starters. One of your starters returns last season, and now it's basically a whole new team. They're going to rely on the backs of Malik Yarbrough, on William Tinsley, on possibly Elijah Clarence. And Mike, do you, what's going on with Elijah Clarence? That's the guy that Redbird fans had a lot of expectations for coming out of uh, Sweden originally, and now and more recently the state of Maryland. And he's not going to be playing, at least until December, from what we're hearing. Well, I remember seeing in October, it was about October, I seen him in a boot. Um, so I asked somebody within the program, hey, what, what's going on with, with Clarence? And I got duped. They said nothing. It's precautionary at this point. He tweaked it in practice. He's just waiting it out. Well, then Dan Muller comes out and says he has a stress fracture. Um, and... You know, it unreliable is. sources are the worst. Mike. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> but uh, so it turned out to be a stress fracture. Uh, so you're sitting. We're talking, like I said, October. You see him. You know, you're out three months. I don't. I don't see a way that you could put him right in the start. He should be back early December. That's what they're saying right now. Is early. The problem December. is this. Here's my. Here's my problem. Even just ignoring. Let's. I'm not that worried about the timetable. He's probably going to come back at some point this season. A, is he going to be the same player this season? You know, difficult on a stretch, you know, especially if they try to rush him back, especially we're going to talk about the non-conference in a moment. The non-conference goes poorly, and, and you know, they start in that They're going to rush him back if it goes poorly. If, if, if they're, you know, let's say two and four, two and five, something like that, they're going to be in a situation they might be bringing him back too soon. That could obviously have negative implications down the line. 
The more important thing is this. This is a freshman. This is a guy who's never played Division One basketball. Now he's not going to be able to play a lot of those key tune-up games. How important would have a game been like Lewis just for someone like Elijah Clarence? How important was it for William Tinsley, who just got his feet underneath him, got his first run, got to play at Redbird Arena? Now, a guy like Clarence, who has all these expectations, is not going to get that. He's not going to be able to play until at least December, and he's going to be thrown into the fire, and it's going to be really difficult. I would say... I don't know what we're going to get from Elijah Clarence this year, and I would really temper your expectations. If he could even perform maybe a little bit above what Madison Williams gave you last year, that's probably a success. And I know that's probably maybe a, a, a lower bar than some Redbird fans would want, but it's a lot to expect out of a man who right now is in a walking boot who's never played Division One game. The one thing I will say is you never look played at- a college game as well. There's a difference between... Right. Yarborough and Tinsley, who both either played Division One or junior college. This is a guy straight out of high school as well. The one thing I will say is when you look at the schedule, when he's projected to come back, it says early December. Well, the first December game is December 2nd against Tulsa. Say he comes back for that one. That's not a game you want to throw him into the fire. Then you go to Dece- you move on. Murray State, eh, maybe. BYU, Ole Miss, UIC. The only game right there that you're like, you know what, we could Probably give him good minutes and, and let him play. And I, I think I forgot Charleston Southern in there. Uh, I think no, maybe, that's in November. That's See, November? That, wow. That, that, that was the stretch where I was thinking in my what head, maybe you get mm. him back. Quincy, Charleston Southern. Those are two really? Those are two games that you could maybe say, all right, Elijah, here you go. Here's 15 minutes in both of these games. Get your feet ready. The and Quincy get- game would really be the nice one because Quincy, obviously, last year was Illinois State's exhibition game. Division two opponent, but... the. That's in November. He's. I mean, I, he won't. He won't be back. That's the day before Thanksgiving, the Saturday after Thanksgiving. He won't be. I just don't see any way he's ready. And you're looking at the most favorable stretch. Honestly, I might even hold him out. I say till UIC. I was going to say the same thing. Maybe UIC, and then you throw him into at Evansville versus Indiana State first three games. That's not. That that's not a heavy load. I don't think that's a heavy load. Obviously, the Missouri Valley Conference play games. Those are early, very early in the Missouri Valley Conference game, so you know people are going to come out with a new high energy. But I think those are on a heavy load where you can work him in, get him adjusted to the system, get his feet wet a little bit. Or even if you wanted to bring him back, I, I feel like maybe home versus Murray State, get him a few minutes, and then maybe throw him in for two, three minutes at Old Miss just to get the experience of playing on the road, uh, and then really increase the minutes. Something like that would be a possibility as well, but... I think you got to temper the expectations for Elijah Clarence. It'll be interesting to watch uh, how it develops for the rest of the season. Now, Mike, let's take our turn now at predicting. Uh, this non-conference schedule, really difficult, opens up at Florida Gulf Coast. Basically a home game for you're basically playing South Carolina at South Carolina. Uh, in Conway, South Carolina, you're not that far from Columbia. It'd be a great crowd for the, the Gamecocks and that. A Final Four, a Final Four qualifier a year ago. Yeah. And they didn't lose much. I mean, they're going to be just as good again this year. And then they would play either the winner or loser of that Boise State-UTEP game, and then be difficult to determine who would play in that final matchup on Sunday. <laughs> then probably comes the easiest portion of the schedule, Quincy, Charleston, Southern. But then a murderer's row at Nevada, home for Tulsa, at BYU, home for Murray State, at Old Miss. Uh, you would be hard-pressed to find a team in the Missouri Valley Conference with a more difficult non-conference stretch than that. Maybe you and I, who's got some t- difficult uh, non-conference games, but that is up there for the Redbirds. And I-, I think there's a good chance they end up being 5-7 and seven in the non-conference. You know, you look at possible losses at Florida Gulf Coast, home, for, uh, rather, not neutral site technically against South Carolina, 
And then, you know, it's going to be difficult for them to go through that stretch. Nevada, Tulsa, BYU, Murray State, Old Miss. And if you went two and three in that, you're probably, you know, maybe not happy, but satisfied. I'm a little more optimistic with the non conference schedule. I have them finishing seven and five through the non con schedule. I think that they're going to struggle, but at the same time, I think they find themselves. So where are your seven wins? Let's just Because I'll give you my, my five wins for Illinois State in the non-conference is I think they win that Boise State UTEP. Yep. I would give them it's the mine. loser bracket probably. I have that one. Uh, I think they're going to win Quincy, Charleston yep. Southern, yep. obviously. Uh, and I gave the Murray State and UIC. Those are I mean, my five. Murray State, UIC. And then I also have them beating Tulsa at home. Tulsa at home on December 2nd. And then I have them winning that third game on Sunday and November 19th. Those are my seven wins. And honestly, when you look at those, any of the any of those seven wins could go the other way. And the problem is this if this is last year's team, I would be much more optimistic. Oh, and I think the talent levels you could say are maybe somewhat comparable, but the difference is the experience level. This team is finding itself. And we all remember last year. Remember the Murray State game last year? That was, you know, that was a difficult one for the Redbirds. You Early go there, season game. You go there, you go there, you go to TCU, you go to Tulsa game last year, you go to Tulsa last year when ISU's up 14 late. Same with TCU, up late and they can't close. I mean, we're, we are talking about a team that, that it's a different team, it's a different dynamic. If this is if you had last year's team doing this year's schedule, I mean, I think this game at I think this game on Saturday afternoon, this Florida Gulf Coast game, man, I think this that's a that's a classic right there. That's a that's a damn good college basketball game. I'm not saying that it doesn't have the potential to be a good basketball game on Saturday, but this is a team who's injured and is is trying to find their identity. And Florida Gulf Coast, I mean, it's Dunk City, baby. So you have them going seven and five. I have them going five and seven. I think we've just both really concerned. Out of the gate, the struggles for this team, Mm -hmm. not easy the first four. The Mm. first four, there's a possibility you're looking (laughs) at 0-4. I mean, I I don't think that's going to happen. I Mm. think they at least get one of those at some point, but... There's a shot. There's a, it's a possibility. At the same time, there's a shot this team comes out and surprises us all and goes 4-0. I think that's... I, that, I think both of those are in play. It's not underneath them. It's not underneath them to go four zero. Then you get the breather, Quincy, Quincy, and Charleston Southern. Well, I think they take they, they have put this way. They have to win those two. Correct. It, this is this is you don't. Then you're just burying yourself a bigger, bigger hole. After that, we talked about that really difficult stretch. UIC's a game. I think they'll win as well. Then we take our attention towards the Missouri Valley Conference. Mike, what are you predicting for the birds to finish in Missouri Valley play? I have them finishing thirteen and five. And I don't know if that's going to be good enough for two or three, uh, the second or third spot in the Missouri Valley Conference. Uh, but I, I, you know, I do not predict them to repeat as regular season champions. Uh, I think Missouri State wins the Valley as the regular season champion, uh, and I think it's going to be close. I don't think this. No one's going to run away with the Valley this year, and that's just it. Is everyone's going to kind of beat up on each other? This isn't. A, this is no longer a, 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 a league where one team is going to go seventeen and one, or eighteen and zero, or sixteen and two. In some ways, it's more of a throwback to the, the you would call the glory days of the Missouri Valley Conference, and they were getting four teams in the tournament because of the fact that there was so much parity. Unfortunately, the days of four teams in the tournament are likely long gone, but the parity has returned. 
Correct, and and I think it's going to be I think it's going to be competitive. I think this this the Missouri Valley is going to be very competitive every single night at Redbird Arena or if they're on the road, you're going to see competitive games, and that's going to be awesome for for basketball fans around the Missouri Valley Conference. Unfortunately for Redbird fans, I think they're going to find themselves in some very sticky situations, and I think they're going to find themselves in close games that you may not have a year ago. However, like I said, I have them at 13-5, and five, finishing second or third in the Valley. Missouri State, I think, is the regular season champion. I think Alizé Johnson's the player of the year. But I have them going to Arch Madness and playing three great days of basketball and going to the NCAA tournament. And that's my prediction. So, uh, you know what? You, you could call me a homer. You could call me whatever. But I think this team's going to find it. I don't think Missouri State and Paul Musk have what it takes to win a regular season title and then go to Arch Madness and keep that up. I mean, we've seen how they played last year at Arch Madness. They played well the first day. Then they go out and play Wichita State in the semis and, and, and kind of get run over. I just don't think Missouri State has that killer instinct when it comes to the actual Arch Madness tournament. And I think Illinois State's going to find their way into the NCAA tournament, and Mueller leads them back to the glory, li- the glory land. So Mike has them going 20-10 and 10 in the regular season, Correct. sweeping through uh, the Missouri Valley Conference tournament, going on to the big dance for the first time since this in this entry. So the first time since 98? 97-98 season, yep. Of course, Dan Mueller was on that team in 1998, but now it's time for... Uh, the less optimistic, apparently, <laughs> of the two of us to predict. I have the Redbirds going 11-7 in uh, conference play. That would put them at 16-14 and 14 overall after that 5-7 and seven start in the non-conference. Probably get them a middle-pack finish. Probably get them in pat, certainly past probably the Probably six. I, probably gets them at six, I think. You think, you think I think a little. I think probably four. Think, uh, that's true. Seven. That's true. You know what? I'm also I'm also trying to adjust myself to the new valley. So eleven and seven does probably get you four or five. Probably get you automatically in the quarterfinal right. round. I, I would say Redbirds probably fall in the semifinal day of the conference tournament. Top, I, you know, honestly, that I wasn't even going to predict that until you did. I hadn't really got that far in my head. I think it'll be interesting to see. I think in terms of trends, I'm watching from the valley. I think Bradley has an opportunity to be really good. Uh, some really young players on that team last year that surprised me. Valparaiso will be interesting to watch. I don't think they have enough this year to compete, but mm. just watching a new team come to the Valley will be exciting. First time they come to Redbird Arena will be a treat. Correct. And I'm telling, and Bray, just going back to Bradley real fast, Brian World is a good coach. This is now the third year that I'll, I'll see him here. He's a good coach, and I think it's just about time that his re- this is finally like his third recruiting class that he's going to have in there. I think he's going. I think they're going to do some things that they're projected to finish seventh. I wouldn't be surprised if, if they finish above that. I, I think they'll definitely finish above that. And I think the war on I seventy four will be very very interesting this season. There's an opportunity for Bradley to maybe steal one of these games, which they've not obviously done in a long time. Uh, other trends I'm looking at. I think Southern Illinois is a chance to be okay. I, I have them splitting with the Redbirds. Uh, you and I, I think, is a team that is right now over overhyped, overrated, in my opinion. Really struggled to beat UNC Pembroke in their uh, exhibition game. Took UNC Pembroke's best player getting ejected, really, to give them an opportunity to come back. They were down, I believe, 14 with five minutes left to go and went on a huge run to win. Uh, so I, I think you and I may be a little overhyped and... Obviously, a lot of attention paid to Missouri State and Loyola of Chicago. I'm pretty high in Missouri State, but we saw them probably play their best against the Redbirds a year ago, so I think Redbird fans a little bit maybe 
different opinion than everyone else. And Loyola will be interesting. I, I, I think Loyola maybe, again, just a little bit overhyped, but I think they have an opportunity to be good as well. I'll, I'll tell you what about Loyola, and I've said this even dating back to last year, is people, and I know Illinois State fans you know, might gripe on me and whatnot, I think Porter Moser's a better coach than people give him credit for. I don't think, and I get it, Loyola is kind of a mystery here this year because you lose Milton Doyle and all of a sudden they're like, oh, we're better. We're better. Well, they do return a lot. Don't get me wrong. They return Andre Jackson. They return they Dante Milton Ingram. Doyle, a lot better about Correct. But they, you know, they return Dante Ingram. I think they're going to be good, but. I, I also wouldn't be surprised if you see them. I, again, I think Missouri State wins the regular season regardless. I think that's just who's going to win the, the Valley. But when you go to Arch Madness and you go to St. Louis, I wouldn't be surprised if Loyola goes and takes it. And I know that's a hot take, but I'm telling you, I think Porter Mosier has what it takes, and they do have the tools to do it. And, and, and so that's my little tidbit on Loyola. I'd, I would not be surprised to see them make a run come the end of the season. We'll be watching all season long. Mike has them going to the big dance. I have them falling just a little bit short, but very early. These November. Have, I have no- a question. Do you have them going to the CBI? <laughs> I have to check the CBI bubble. I'll get back to you in my bracketology for the CBI. Uh, I need to get at least in January before I start doing my CBI bracketology. Uh, before we sign off, lot to lot covered. Big day for football on Saturday. Big day for basketball on Saturday, and we'll we'll watch the basketball team all season. I think everyone's really excited to see this team tip off. Even someone like myself, who's maybe a little bit more pessimistic, I'm really excited about this team. I think they have a lot of pieces that are exciting. It's just if they can come together, and at what point do they come together uh, as a team, as a unit? be really interesting to watch. Mike, what's your prediction for Saturday's contest down in Fort Myers against the Eagles of Florida Gulf Coast? I think, I think Illinois State hangs around for a half, and I think in the second half, I think they're... Their inexperience, their lack of health, their lack of bodies, their lack of depth catches up to them. And and I think Florida Gulf Coast kind of coasts to a win. No pun intended there. I just couldn't think of any better word right there. Um, So I think think Florida Gulf Coast kind of takes this one. My score prediction is going to be 75 to 62. Uh, I, I, it's it's not that different, but I I just don't see them. See now I'm annoyed because I had it, I had my score in my head, and I was like, as long as Mike's score is not similar to mine, we're good. I had seventy four sixty two in my head, <laughs> uh, so that's that's not we we didn't plan this. So uh, Mike has the the coast coasting to a win. I also have the coast coasting to a win. Hey, I couldn't leave any better words. <laughs> I, I I think it'll be interesting to watch. I think this will be a little bit like the Murray State game last year. I think it'll be blown open a little bit late. Uh, remember that Murray State game last year? Illinois State led for a lot, and obviously down the stretch, sort of, you want to say, almost blew that game. I think this one will be a little bit different in the fact that I think Florida Gulf Coast will lead for most of it. But I think Illinois State will hang around probably to the under-eight timeout, and we'll see the lack of depth really start to hurt the Redbirds and maybe fall by 12 points. So 74-62, I have the Florida Gulf Coast over Illinois State. Uh, that will do it for this edition of the Redbird Report. Both of us have the Redbirds falling to Florida Gulf Coast. Mike has them making the NCAA tournament, however, at 20 and 10. I have them at 16 and 14, failing to make the NCAA tournament. Uh, we split on the football game. I have the Redbirds defeating South Dakota State. Mike has them falling to South Dakota State. That will do for this edition. Tune in on Sunday. We'll have a lot. I'm really excited for Sunday's show. Lots to talk about. We'll have recaps of both of these games and get our first look at the Illinois State men's basketball team. Should be an exciting season for the Redbirds. That will do for this edition. Signing off from the Vidout offices for Mike Morrow. I'm Tom Prizem saying have a great day.